Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. In this episode, I speak to Sylvain Forte of CESAM, a Paris-based company that uses natural language processing techniques to track changes in market sentiment and rapid developments as they occur. In our conversation, we talk about Paris's AI and alternative data markets, new developments in CESAM's use cases around ESG and private equity, and technological advancements in natural language processing. I began by asking Sylvan to explain CESAM's distinctive name. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for inviting me. And, and it's actually Sesame or Season, depending on whether we are in, in, in the US or in Europe. Because you're the founder. You, you founded the company back in 2012. What's the, what's the, what's the origin of the name? It's, a, it's actually an obscure acronym. Uh, Sesame in French means Sesame. Uh, so that was for Sesame Open Yourself. And the acronym is, is meant initially to, to, to mean Stock Exchange Statistical Analysis Mechanism. So wow. very complex, but just to get that, that nice acronym. Yeah, nice, nice. Okay, so it's capital S E S A M, and then a small M afterwards. So very funky and, and modern. <laughs> um, so, um, so Silva, how, tell me, tell me about um, yourself. How did you get into? How did you get into this? What was the? What's the origin story? Sure. Um, the the origin story actually of, of Sesame. I I joined Sesame as the first engineer of the company, uh, following the idea of my co-founder uh, Pierre, uh, who's working in a bank pretty traditional uh, front desk and uh, a bit frustrated with non-modern technology that were used there. And uh, he was the one that got this, this idea of uh, initially using Twitter data uh, to predict markets. Uh, so that was the time of uh, 2011 to 2013, uh, ball articles uh, predicting the S&P uh, uh, using Twitter data. And so that that's actually... Uh, an origin story that is pretty common in alternative data. A lot of alternative data companies, uh, have the like of Eagle Alpha, etc., were created around that time, and were created around that premise of using Twitter data to predict financial movements on on U.S. stocks. So, yeah, that's what we did. We started replicating results from research articles, and and then came up with our own methodologies, uh, extracted more data, raised funds, structured a team, and so yeah, that's where the project came from. Interesting. That's where it came from. And you all, you're based in Paris, aren't you? Uh, were you were you unique in the French market, or were there was there much similar stuff going on in France at the time? Yeah, but very much so. It's it's a pretty unique solution in in, in France and even in, in Europe. We, we we don't find that many that many sentiment analysis, knowledge graph oriented companies. Uh, so in, in in France, it was it was very new. It was really uh, one of the first companies to uh, doing that. And we're, we're currently the, the largest uh, in, in the market. Uh, since then, we've seen a lot of companies uh, in, in the world. And we, we also grew outside of France. We have offices in New York and in Tokyo, too. Lovely. Is there a tech part of Paris? You know how London has kind of Silicon Roundabout or whatever in Old Street. Is there a, is there a technology-specific area within the, within the city? There is kind of a, a startup arrondissement uh, in the ninth. Uh, so that's uh, uh, an arrondissement that is uh, very much... Uh, young business oriented with a lot of startup companies, technology companies, etc. Uh, right. So, uh, so it's, it's kind of a specific arrondissement there where, where we see a lot of, uh, of uh, developers and a lot of, of, uh, of sales and, and small companies uh, around there. 
It's a, it's a funny thing with alternative data because actually I was just talking to someone about this the other day in, in America, it's very much alternative data is very much clustered around the, the, the consumer, which is the, um, the financial market. So it's all based around New York rather than Silicon Valley, like the, you know, so it's not a, it's not necessarily a tech innovation story. It's the innovation is around the, the buyer. Is that, I mean, where, where are you guys based in Paris? Are you near the, near the, near the finance guys or near the, near the tech guys? Uh, we're, we're actually near the, the tech guys, and we're, 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 I think, closer to the AI community in Paris uh, than, than we are only to the, the financial community. Uh, a lot of the banks in, in Paris are, are either at La Défense, uh, so a bit outside of the city or in the 8th. And uh, we're, we're rather close to the offices of Google, Criteo, etc. There's a huge AI artificial intelligence hub in Paris. Uh, some of the fathers of deep learning and the like are, are installed there. And, and there, there are a couple of reasons for that, but basically uh, there are a lot of math addicts in France and very good mm -hmm. engineering schools. And so that, that creates a lot of talent pool for, for young AI researchers and, and developers. Didn't Macron, I remember Macron pointing at a guy with a bow tie who was like a maths whiz to be there, to be the kind of minister of AI. Is that, am I getting that mixed up? Is he still, is he still around? Yeah, he's still around. Uh, I, I, I think that's Cédric Villani and he, he was actually aiming to, to uh, run for mayor in Paris that didn't work out so well. <laughs> really? Oh, Christ. No, he should stick to the numbers, stick to the models. <laughs> yeah, he was um, a field, field medal, so, uh, yeah. yeah. No, he was, he was impressive. Um, cool, okay, so back to Sesam. Uh, um, so that was, that was how you started in, in 2012, was very much using Twitter to predict financial markets and doing it, putting your own twist on it, but it was, it was something that a lot of people were trying to do. Um, how's the company evolved since then? Well, we, we, we started selling alternative data and specifically uh, we developed a specific approach to be a seller of AI platforms rather than purely of data sets. Um, so right now we, we sell a tool called Text Reveal that is a massive natural language processing engine. Where Sorry, our, can you say the name again? It's Text Reveal. Text Reveal, yep. And it, it's basically a, a natural language processing tool that clients can use to build their own data sets and their own use cases. So it's based on one of the largest data lake in the world, more than 12 billion articles and, and messages, 12 years of data, 3 million sources. So financial and non-financial news, uh, social media, blogs, forum, and it's both very financial data and consumer-oriented data. So our goal is to have kind of an exhaustive view of everything that is happening on the web and to be able to track not only public companies, but also private companies, very deep specific risks and to give users the ability to customize their time series, their use case. So to build their own indicators rather than having to rely just on us to build one standard indicator that will be sold to everyone and that could possibly yeah, decay very quickly. I think alpha decay is a major risk in the industry and, and we're really trying to position ourselves uh, with a more modular tool and therefore a more customizable tool. Okay. And so um, so start. let's start with the data lake. So you have spent 12 years getting together all of this data, all these words essentially from all of these sources you mentioned, the financial and non-financial news. Um, and uh, it's all collected. Uh, uh, what's, the, what's the global reach of this, of this data? It's really worldwide. Around forty percent of the data is English, but twenty percent of it is is uh, simplified Chinese, so it's Mandarin, and uh, twenty percent of it is Japanese. So we, we really have a very large coverage, and that that is one of the reasons that we're also pretty active in in uh, in Asia and Japan specifically. It's because we're 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 not just U.S. focused like a lot of companies. 
we're a small startup from Europe initially, so we had to be multilingual very quickly and to have a very global data reach. And so, yeah, more than 5 million companies and really worldwide, uh, including SMEs. So you've got this, you've got this lake of data that you can, you can dive into. Um, and then your you've got text reveal is using natural language processing. So essentially it's computers understanding words and extracting meaning from them, um, in order to extract what kind of meaning from them. That, that very much depends. And that's really the advantage is, is rather than having just one meaning that we impose to all of our clients, we have several types of indicators that can be computed. For quantitative hedgements, it, it will in most cases be sentiment. So the e-reputation on stocks that can help drive, uh, help create an alpha factor. So positive, negative sentiment or emotions such as fear expressed by a specific trading community, for example, with regards to US stocks or European stocks. But there, there are more and more innovative use cases that have emerged. And one very big use case right now is specifically ESG environmental, social, and environmental risk, where tax reveal can be used in order to extract information on uh, frauds or credit-related issues or uh, governance scandals, um, environmental issues, uh, use of, of uh, uh, emissions of CO2, etc. And, and that's the advantage of having a, a flexible tool is that we can customize that and create new use cases on demand, such as ESG, which is a really big worldwide topic right now. For sure. Let's just talk about how it works quickly. So, for example, diagnosing fear around perhaps a stock, then where would the data, um, can you give me an example of a place where you would be seeing the fear and and perhaps very briefly how you would diagnose that it was fear? Sure. Uh, so, for, for, for example, we, we extract information from um, social trading websites, uh, the likes of, of StockTwits or, or Reddit information in, in, in trading communities. Uh, we typically have a lot of retail traders uh, that actually, and we've seen that in, in the past few months, that actually move markets. And if these these people suddenly panic, massively panic, we want to know that and that can have an impact on price. So we have access to the data, we buy it, we extract it ourselves. And then we have a set of, of pre-trained uh, machine learning algorithms, so supervised learning in multiple languages, uh, assessing whether each article contains a notion of fear or not based on the semantic based on the word, based on the sentence structure. And it's basically yeah, the deep learning uh, models that are, that are trained to do that. And, and so each, each message corresponding and identifying a specific stock will then be categorized as possibly potentially corresponding to fear. And that can then be aggregated at, for example, an hourly or daily basis into a time series. It's interesting. Yeah. So that, that, that's interesting. So you're, um, essentially you're talking about all the, all the, the chatter, which is going on around the markets and it's, and it's often some of the least sophisticated investors who are, and, but they can, they're, they can be definitely be part of the stampede, even if they didn't, didn't cause it in the first place or they, or perhaps they can cause it. I find, I find it interesting as well that, um, you know, previously, I might have I might have thought that um, the market was becoming more sophisticated with time, and so these guys would te- would play less of a role. But as you say, this this Robin Hood trading aspect of of the last three four months or well six months has um, I mean it's 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 a massive it's a massive uh, you know um, comeback for the for the little guy. You know, it's all the it's all the retail investors, so they're very much alive and well at the moment. Yeah, exactly. But our, our vision has always been that 
we, we shouldn't impose a, a, a type of data source or a vision of what's relevant or not to, to our clients. So if a client is looking for more social information that is included in the data lake, if someone is looking for purely very financial news-oriented information, that is included too. And, and, and we like to let clients also impose their own investment vision rather than us as a data provider having to impose that. It, it usually makes more sense. Okay. And so um, ESG, where would, you, where would you be getting the ESG information from in, in, your, in your data lake? There, there are a number of sources that are really, really relevant. There's NGO data, uh, so public websites from NGOs. Uh, there's everything social is very useful for whistleblowers. So Reddit, for example, first place where uh, anyone mentioned the Panama Papers and where a lot of scandals, actually a large worldwide scandals were revealed. And then we have traditional mainstream media and local media. So when there's an environmental scandal uh, in an emerging country from an obscure supplier or subsidiary of a large listed company, uh, the impact of this can be detected directly, including on, on, on a, in local newspaper, in local languages. And so there's a variety of sources that is really relevant to, uh, to uh, ESG and that can be extracted from the web. And I, I guess one of the main advantages of using web data for ESG is that it's, it's largely unbiased, so it's not reported by the company. Meaning that, yeah, if there is a fraud scandal and some accusation, that is likely not what the company will self-report. That's something that you'll find in, in whistleblower sources. And, mm -hmm. and the coverage is also huge. You can, you can cover any company based on web data. It's the first source of information. Any company that is created before any filings or anything like that, there's a website. And so that's, that's the vision. And so in terms of the, in terms of the interface, how would a, how would a client who is interested in understanding the ESG issues around a specific stock, how do they, what do they get when they come to you? Like what, do they have an interface that, do you help them? How, how, what's the, what's, what's that? How does, how does it work? There, there are three ways to access the data. There's API, uh, simply in the same way as quant hedge funds are using that. And uh, actually, interestingly, some quant hedge funds are coming to us also for ESG data um, because there, there is some alpha to extract from, from AI-generated uh, ESG data. Um, and after that, there's a web interface, uh, so UI, and also email alerts. So uh, actually, one, one thing that is interesting is that a lot of more traditional funds and private equity funds are, are using as their main risk tool uh, Google alerts. So we're, we're aiming to simply and efficiently replace that also by providing ESG alerts on the large scales on close to 100 different risks, uh, specifically linked to the, the company's portfolio, portfolio companies. And so, yeah, email alerts are, are either a very, very efficient way to deliver that information to funds who do not necessarily need to have a very quantitative approach, but want to be informed in, in real time of any risk that occurs on, on the company theirs. So, for example, you, you need to do a, a fair bit of preparation for this, I would imagine, or set up, because if you're interested in ESG, if you're worried about an oil spill around an, an, an energy company, an oil company, um, you need to think about the energy company. You need to think about what it does. You need to think about all the words and all the languages that might denote oil spill. Um, and then you need to set up your NLP to be constantly searching for that. And then when it happens in the Philippine media that, you know, BP has done a, an oil spill, whatever. Um, this is hypothetical, by the way. <laughs> um, then uh, you then an alert goes off, and then all the people who are following BP through your alert system receive an alert. Is it is that kind of thing? Yeah, that's exactly it. But the the advantage is it is that that level of, of customization is pretty low on the client side in the sense that. 
the company is already covered or very likely already covered, even if it's an SME due to the size of the data lake and the knowledge graph that is involved. The, the ESG risks are also provided by default. Clients can actually change them, can add to that, etc. But by default, we provide around 100 of them and the alerts are already uh, configured. So the level of uh, customization that is needed initially on the client side is pretty low. Uh, we keep that opportunity and we keep the client in control of the process, but we're trying to make sure that there isn't too much work at the entry point of the system, basically. Okay. Um, and I think private equity clients are, have started using you more. Is that, is, that, is that an emerging sector for you? What, what's going on with private equity? Yeah, it's, it's an emerging sector and a very interesting one. Um, I think particularly particularly when, when dealing with, with web data, um, pr- private equity is, is dealing with a couple issues that, that are less less common in, in, in asset management and capital markets is they, they, have, they have literally no access to data, like r- real valuation data in real time, et cetera, like we see in capital markets is not available. So any kind of, of large-scale alternative data can, can help a lot and even more than, than in, in capital markets. So there, there is that notion of no, no other data is available other than alternative data. Uh, the frequency of information is really, really low, and a lot of companies are not mapped. So ticker matching, we know that we all know that is an issue in, in, in alternative data, making sure that your data is mapped properly to individual tickers, choosing the right referential. These kinds of referentials do not exist in, in private markets. And so being able to find like track risks or track e-reputation on thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of private companies is a massive challenge. And that's something that we can solve with a system that is relying on web data, which has a very large and worldwide coverage, where we can provide matching capabilities and can help identify companies that actually corresponds to what the client is searching for. And also where, where we have that ability to provide information in a simple way through emails, dashboards, et cetera, not just to, through quant streams. So yeah, private equity is a, is a very big, big topic. There are For sure. a number of use cases that are, that are interesting here. What kind of use cases? So we, we see three main use cases in private equity. The, the easiest one and the most accessible um, is, is really due diligence. Uh, private equity firms are constantly looking for information uh, in advance when they make the, the bids to acquire uh, uh, emerging companies uh, or to invest in them. And th- there's really a lack of information at the early stages of the due diligence process. Uh, um, so we, we can really help, and NLP in general can really help detect relevant trends and, and validate a market position uh, versus competitors, et cetera, for a specific company. So that, that's a very, very interesting and, and very easy uh, uh, kind of use case. Second one is, is sourcing. There, there's a lot of traction from growth stage funds and VC firms to help them identify in advance the right companies to invest in and to help automate the sourcing process. And lastly, portfolio tracking is once there is a large portfolio of companies that ha- have been invested in, the ability to track them in real time, to identify risk and to be the first one to have a discussion with management when there is an issue is pretty crucial to private equity firms. And this is really topics that are growing very quickly right now. Interesting, interesting. Um, okay, and so um, NLP is your game. Um, and so partly in terms of looking looking ahead, then one of the, one of the exciting avenues for progress seems to me that NLP is, is progressing. And, and, you know, I, I think um, more, uh, more 
progress being made in things like emotion and in and in you know audio NLP and 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 things like that. Um, do you are you are you watching the science with interest? Are you um, do you see um, what avenues do you see for for advancement in the future? Yeah, with, with a lot of interest. I'm actually very very passionate about this topic. While, while I'm not not competent enough to code with my team, I'm very very interesting in, in that topic from a scientific perspective. I I, I think. Everyone agrees right now that in the community, the, the most interesting topic is, is language models. So the like of uh, GPT-3 from OpenAI that actually made a lot of noise because Elon Musk is also associated with that, or also BERT models uh, that are uh, have been created by by Google. And so the, these, are, these are really interesting because they are much more generic than anything that we've seen before in, in, uh, in, um, in NLP, can solve multiple tasks and... And to some extent, they also attract a lot of media buzz because they look like, um, yeah, kind of a general AI. It's not the case, but it, yeah. from an external perspective, that that's a bit what they look like. That was a, I saw a I think I, I saw a GT, GPT three yeah. example where they were um, they were you could use it in Excel where you could write down um, you know you could write down Alabama uh, whatever whatever the population of Alabama, whatever the population of Alabama is, whatever million it is, and then Texas, and whatever the population is, and then you could write Arkansas, and it would fill in the, the, the empty box because the because GPT-3 would work out what your list that you were building for could go to the internet, could find the missing number, and just fill out the rest of the list for you. So just this, um, you know, this amount of... <clears throat> It feels like intelligence. It's not, <laughs> but it feels like intelligence because there's uh, they can start. It can start reading the words and 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 making deductions in a way. Yeah, and I, I think also there's the the great thing that OpenAI did, and and we we do use some of the company's library, especially for uh, reinforcement learning, um, uh, like predictive purposes, uh, building signals and strategies, and these guys are really doing a great work. And and also I think they did a great marketing work. Uh, like being able to communicate the power of NLP systems to the public and to show use cases that are appealing to anyone is 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 really great for the field in general. Uh, it, it attracts financing, it attracts clients, it attracts a lot of awareness that is that is really great to help advance that field scientifically speaking and from a business perspective. And I think, yeah, we, we should all be very thankful to 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 them also for for that great communication feature. <laughs> absolutely absolutely fantastic well i think that's a good time to leave on a positive note thanking thanking the scientists of ai <laughs> um so so sylvan thank you so much for for talking about sesam today um very interesting and um and yeah looking forward to, to seeing what happens in the future thank you very much mark